Hello everyone, and welcome to Cane and Rinse Sound of Play 151.
Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 151 is Carl Moon. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Carl from the regular Canerman stable, a familiar voice, although it's been a little while since you've been on Sound of Play. Yeah, I think the last one I was on was the uh, the rap special with yourself and Mikael. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> quite a while. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of good rap music in video games. There's a lot of bad rap music in video games as well. Uh, maybe we should do just a bad rap special at some point in the future. We can get the uh, Pumpkin Hill theme from Sonic Adventure Two. We can get the Donkey Kong rap. You you said bad rap, Ryan. The the Donkey Kong rap does not qualify for <laughs> bad know, rap. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's uh, let's get right into the music. We listened to coming in a familiar piece by Darren Corb. We talked a little bit about the Transistor soundtrack last week, and uh, this week I'm bringing something from Bastion. This is another one that I'm kind of surprised hasn't come up already. This is called "Bin the Breaker." Uh, this piece of music, I like the instruments that are used. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, back in the old days, back when I was in high school and I was experimenting with like digital music. I had these programs that allowed me to make music out of samples and um there's all a bunch of pre-recorded samples it's all just kind of dragging and dropping until you come away with a composition that you're happy with i would layer on different things that i thought sounded good together but uh, at the end of the piece i would kind of put them all on top of each other just like the big grand finale and uh, you know just kind of the culmination of what the entire piece had been to that point and uh, you'd kind of realize that that many things stacked on top of each other, even if they sound good together, just one or two at a time, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're all going to layer perfectly. And it got to be a little uh, cacophonous, a little bit much. Uh, I kind of feel like there's an aspect of that in this last piece of a lot of samples that sound good in isolation stacked on top of each other, kind of drowning out the mood of the piece up to that point. But I never feel like it crosses over into being a a bad composition obviously i'm featuring it here on the show i do really like it um but you know it it gets a little uh it gets a little aggressive (laughs) at times but you know that's a it's a part of the journey i like that it's it certainly represents the uh the feelings that you might be experiencing if you were in the the kid's shoes uh during the end of the world that he's experiencing Let's talk about, uh, Carl, what are you bringing us today? Given that we're in the new year, I had to bring one of my favorite, uh, a track from one of my favorite games, probably my favorite game of 2017. You the new year. This is June, you know. Yeah, but I don't get much of a chance outside of the specials <laughs> these true. days, Ryan. So <laughs> um, I, I did promise myself that I was going to uh, feature a, a track from what I did consider to be quite comfortably the best game of 2017. Um, and whilst it's not a soundtrack that's full of absolutely catchy, brilliant tunes like Bastion that we've just had on, um, it does do something for setting a tone and sometimes the most tonally relevant games don't make for the greatest tracks in isolation outside of the game. Um, This, however, definitely does. Uh, It's fully representative of the game and the tone that are within it, but also fully listenable outside of it. And it's also something a little different to what you might expect from the composer Mick Gordon if you've listened to his Doom score or his Killer Instinct music, which are incredibly aggressive. Uh, I feel like this one's considerably more controlled, quintessentially science fiction, um, and just, for me, wonderfully crafted and, and something that, having played the game through, resonates with me a little more than it did prior to 
the completion of the game. The game is Prey 2017, and the track is Human Elements by Mick Gordon. from the forum this is from sergeant silent who says from celeste forsaken city sever the skyline remix i love how the core game of celeste the music develops along with both the player and madeline along the journey up the mountain but then we find the b-sides a world where everything gets turned up a notch this track really lets the player know just what they're jumping into i like celeste Uh, carl did you get a chance to play celeste this year I didn't. I saw all the sort of the crazy high reviews and and people recommending it and saying it was a wonderful experience. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that I am intending to get round to. I think uh, we always complain on this and obviously uh, Kid and Rince that sometimes we have too many games and we plan to yeah. get around to stuff. And <laughs> Celeste is absolutely one of those games that uh, I've not gotten around to, but I've certainly not forgotten about. Celeste created by Matt and Makes Games, um, previously of Towerfall Ascension, uh, which is pretty firmly an uh, arcade game in a pretty classic sense of the word, not the, in the yeah. sense that it was in arcades, although I'm sure they have uh, some custom stand-up cabinets for it. It's interesting that they moved from an arcade experience into something that's a little bit more fully fleshed out, fully featured, uh, a little bit more story-driven, character narrative driven i i don't often see this kind of transition made it's kind of usually they specialize in one or the other but i feel like in celeste since they had that uh that background in in creating towerfall and uh working with those very tight mechanics that they were able to kind of get the best of both worlds so uh, i think that i think you'd like that one it's uh it has a high level of challenge as well if you are uh, wanting to seek something like that out so uh, i know that the completionist in you will um be sat there for hours trying to don't tempt me ryan don't tempt me (laughs) that's right uh it's a good one uh anyways the music is kind of eclectic it has a nice mix of a lot of piano leads but also a lot of electronic instruments and i think that this piece of music even though it is a b-side it's not representative entirely of the uh the progression of the soundtrack it it does kind of represent the sound and the mood so uh, let's listen to maxo forsaken city sever the skyline remix by lena rain from celeste
Now, this next game that you're bringing us a song from isn't one that I'd heard of before. When I saw it on the list, I thought that you had uh, misspelled that uh, Sticks Into Darkness <laughs> or what, what did that uh, that Stealth Orc game? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. It was given away with Games of Gold. No, it's absolutely yeah, yeah. not that one. This one's considerably older. In fact, it's, yeah. it's, it's, is it older than yourself? It is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a 1990s kid, so or a 1990 specifically. Yeah, the first ten days of the year, so I just barely missed out on the last decade. But uh, yeah, this is a 1989 Amiga game. Yeah, so I think whenever I come on the show, it's somewhat expected that there's probably going to be a retro tune or something Amiga based. This is no different. Um, it's not one that I would uh, have chosen had other tracks not been. Selected in the past, uh, it, it's a great track in its own right. I did really have my heart set on something, uh, but we couldn't go for it. So maybe in the future, I'll pick the one I really wanted to pick. But this is still a great track from an Amiga composer that's maybe not as well known as uh, some of the more famous ones, like Chris Hulsbeck, for example. Uh, so the composer is Paul Summers, uh, and this is by a development studio called Cyclops. Um, you will be forgiven if you've never heard of them. But it is a game that I do remember playing. It's creatively titled Main Theme, as they often tend to be from that era. Um, and it's from the game Strix, which is obviously where the confusion with the game Styx came from. Um, it's just all that's wonderful about Amiga-era music and composers learning what was possible uh, with the rather limited tools available. Um, at times it may lose a little bit of its control, uh, but there are there are moments in this that are truly wonderful and and capture the essence of what that uh, sort of movement from eighty nine into the early nineties was in case uh, with what could be done um, with that system and and it's the kind of music that I immediately fall back to when I'm thinking of a uh, sort of of the Amiga generation. Uh, it it's just a a wonderful track that I really enjoy. Um, is it one that you'd heard before, Ryan? No. Uh, now, what is Strix? Because it has a um, it, just the the cover that's posted on the YouTube video that I'm listening to the music from uh, has one of those kind of clunky 1950s B movie robots. Uh, but it looks like <laughs> a I don't know a progressive metal album cover from like the 1970s with a very like pulpy science fiction hero blasting it with a laser gun. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of that crazy War of the Worlds meets sort of early science fiction B-movie rubbish. Um, the, <laughs> the game is actually sort of a sideways progressive game, um, sort of sideways platformer that we've seen many of. It's, it's not in the league of the likes of Flashback in terms of science fiction, if that's the way mm -hmm. you're thinking of it. It's uh, far more like Blues Brothers uh, from Ocean, if anyone remembers that one. Um but it was it was an enjoyable game. Uh, nothing that that sort of lives long in the mind. I think the the soundtrack's the thing that I remember the most. Uh, sort of uh, one thing I often did with the Amiga was just sit on the splash screens and just listen to the music. And this is kind of one that was on the list for all the right reasons. Um, mm. it, it it's just a really really cool track. It, it's I'm still in awe of what the composers could actually do. Um, and, and this kind of brings out all the bells and whistles that were possible. Very good. Well, this is the main theme by Paul Summers from Strix. 
Moving now to a Nintendo piece. Uh, I often bring these around just because there's a lot of good Nintendo music. This is from The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. Uh, not one of my favorite Zelda games, but uh, I-, I warmed up to it considerably after playing the HD remaster. I remember uh, playing it on Wii originally back in 2006, it must have been, um, and uh, not really getting on with it all that well but uh i think when i came back to it there's enough to like there it's not nothing to write home about but it's uh i think there's enough to like enough that it does differently um but one of the things about the game that always stood out and kind of rubbed me the wrong way is that it has kind of a hard time defining its tone that it wants to take there's parts of the game and i I do like eclectic games i don't mean to uh to try to pigeonhole games into just being one thing i'm I'm happy if it wants to jump between things but it feels like if you're going to jump between things like conquer's bad fur day you have to set up a good pace of of change uh whereas um you know, Twilight Princess felt like it had kind of one core aesthetic, uh, maybe something that would change like three or four times throughout the game, and then just little diversions that didn't feel substantial enough to be uh, like their own their own thing. <laughs> Not doing a very good job of describing no, I, it. But... I think you're absolutely right. Though. <laughs> um, it, it's I, I was a bit like you. I played it in, when it came out on the Wii, and I, mm-hmm. it didn't click with me. It felt like. Um, it was trying to sort of renew the Zelda uh, license in the way that sort of Wind Waker had and Ocarina of Time, and it just couldn't quite find that kind of magic. And I, th- I think it seemed to fall a little flat with a few people that, I, that I'd spoken to around that era, and I kind of wandered away for it, which is unusual for a Zelda game, because usually when I start a Zelda game, you get kind of really yeah. drawn in. And, and I felt like that catch that was really hoping to get me just wasn't, quite there um i have heard that it's one that's maybe uh, more enjoyable now you know you mentioned the hd remaster i've heard mm-hmm. a few people have since gone back um in the many years past that have actually enjoyed it considerably more than at launch and that's not unusual for me for several games and it's one that maybe i'll get back around to at some point um of course if you want to hear the team's thoughts on it we did cover the zelda series uh on Kane and rinse but Definitely the music sticks out more for me with this title and the, the actual score overall than the uh, than the game did itself. And plus everyone loves a bit of the mouth harp, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, of course, um, as you mentioned, uh, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess was covered in Canon Rinse number 244, uh, where we go deep in depth into uh, this particular game in the franchise. There are some really, really strong things about this game. I really like the character of Midna, I really like the, uh, for some reason, the cinematography of the cutscenes is like really, really good. And it's something that people probably don't really remember because you just kind of like, you know, in a video game, the the uh, cinematics usually aren't the part that like really stick with you. Um, but uh, it, I mean, the cinematography is really, really strong. Yeah, one of those little diversions that I mentioned earlier, uh, that's kind of a complete genre shift is the hidden village you kind of stumble into what looks like a old southwest american town like cowboys era it's like a red dead redemption type thing and a village full of uh talking cats where you have to do some sort of like a like a shooting challenge or something like it's it's very strange (laughs) it's 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 a wonderfully wild west track though isn't it it's i think that's one of the things i love about it the most yeah it definitely has that spaghetti western type of feel to it and uh it 
I mean, it really fits what they're going for here. It doesn't necessarily fit in with the rest of the soundtrack, but uh, it's a fun track. It's a weird portion of the game. Um, yeah, so uh, if if you have memories about that, hopefully that'll jog those. If not, uh, it, it's worth looking up. This is a strange diversion in Link's Adventure. This is The Hidden Village. another request from the forum from Flabio who says the Dynasty Warriors games have long been known for having a very singular vision for their soundtracks cheesy epic rock this piece is from the final battle from the most recent game Dynasty Warriors 9 it sums up the style pretty well it's super cheesy I think there are at least three truck drivers gear changes in there and it is long which is fitting for the end of a 70 hour game also it's called the epic remains forever so there's that it pretty much sums it up. This is an epic track. I, I really like this one. I've been playing through a lot of Hyrule Warriors lately, uh, which is uh, a part of the, you know, kind of Dynasty Warriors overall oeuvre, uh, also produced by Omega Force. The pieces of music in that game do get really old after you've played the... I've probably put in between all the versions close to 700 hours. <laughs> into uh into that game so uh yeah i i do get very tired of the music in that game and so actually having a 10 minute piece of music and something that this that's this dynamic and awesome sounds great because uh you know those those battles go on for 15 minutes at a time and uh it would be nice to have uh, longer pieces of music that don't loop so suddenly 
Uh, so yeah, this is The Epic Remains Forever by Masato Koiki, Sasuke Masayoshi, Masako Atsuka, Yasuhiro Misawa, and Kenji Nakajo.
Dynasty Warriors 9, not as well received as previous Dynasty Warriors games. This is a very controversial entry. Uh, I don't know, say controversial. It, I think I've only seen negative response to it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have its fans, but uh, I think the, the diehards were uh, feeling a bit betrayed. I think there was some hope for that one after how strong the similarly rebooted Monster Hunter World was earlier in the mm-hmm. year. It's out there. Maybe this is a rough puberty state as the game uh, grows up into what it becomes. And maybe the next couple entries will kind of smooth that out and uh, give a more full featured experience. But uh, I guess time will tell. We'll see. Our next track comes from the forum. Again, this comes from Brazenhead89, who says, Given that we just explored Jonathan Dunn's wonderful RoboCop theme on a previous Sound of Play, I'd like to submit one of the more overlooked pieces. This is my enduring memory of the better-than-it-should-have-been Game Boy tie-in game Jurassic Park. That drop at the 43-second mark with the offbeat, Sid Chip-style chords is gorgeous, and the dramatic beat either side of it makes for something of a delicious auditory sandwich. Yes, of course, as you mentioned, we did go very in-depth picking apart the instruments of the RoboCop theme uh, from three different versions of the uh, Ocean Software RoboSoft game, a RoboCop game uh, composed by Jonathan Dunn uh, back just a few sounds of play ago. Uh, If you want to seek that out, uh, similarly, this is called Level 1 from Jurassic Park. This seems to be a Game Boy version of the piece, although looking it up online, uh, I couldn't find a Wikipedia entry for the Game Boy version of this game. I could only find an NES version on Wikipedia. So maybe I just overlooked it in the uh, long list of Jurassic Park games. Maybe Wikipedia needs needs to be corrected. Or maybe, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe this is not from a Game Boy version. Whatever's happening there... (laughs) somebody is uh is short on information so uh, apologize for that if it is my wrongdoing but uh, anyways ocean software you can always count on them for some good chiptune music jonathan dunn's level one from jurassic park
Now, I mentioned two sounds of play ago, back when I was on with Ryan Quintel, that there were three pieces of music in particular that were stuck in my head pretty much throughout my entire life. Uh, there was the that one piece from Godzilla from the Game Boy, which I played uh, two sounds of play ago. The theme of uh, Saberwolf from Killer Instinct, particularly the Game Boy version, which I loved. And uh, again, it was constantly stuck in my head growing up. And then this is the third piece of music. This is a tune from Gex 3 Deep Cover Gecko, which has never been featured on Sound of Play before. (laughs) That game had kind of one theme that would come back time and time again throughout the game, uh, being remixed for each of its thematic platformer stages. This is the remix of it that plays in the War Channel. And uh, I think it's the best version of the song. Um, Yeah, I don't know if there's anything all that special about the tune, but, um, you know, it just has a place in my heart. Uh, Despite never owning Gex 3, I think I just rented it maybe once or twice uh, back on the PlayStation 1. Um, I was a big fan of Enter the Gecko. I don't have that much history with Gex 3, but the song really stuck with me. So I guess we can... uh, We can go back to that. It is War Channel, composed by some combination of John Baker, Jim Hedges, and or Blake Treistman. track left today. Before we listen to that, uh, we'd like to encourage everyone to go over to our forum and request some of their favorite pieces of music. That is at kananrince.com forum, or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at kananrince. Uh, we will play a selection of your requests from the community as we have today in future Sounds of Plays. 
So uh, you might hear some of your favorite pieces of music featured maybe very soon, maybe in the distant future. It's a nice surprise when it comes up. (laughs) I would like to thank my guest, Carl. Uh, Carl, it feels like we really uh, made good time on this one. We, we didn't really get a lot of time to chat. Maybe we'll take some time to chat before we uh, completely sign off here. You know, it's always nice to be on here. Uh, some are obviously quicker than others, uh, but we did have to make room for, you know, the Dynasty Warriors theme. So there was that. It's, it's a long one. Now you're bringing us a piece from Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which is actually a nice segue into the E3 stuff that has just happened. Um, As of the time of recording, uh, E3 is just wrapping up. I know that my brain has been swimming with E3 stuff, not just because I'm a big fan of video games and a big fan of Smash Bros. Um, (laughs) Came came away very well satisfied as far as that goes. Uh, But also because I, uh, in my position at work, kind of helped make E3 this year. Uh, for Nintendo's presence anyways. So it's interesting having that kind of behind the scenes perspective of E3. But um, yeah, as somebody uh, not necessarily in the industry, like what did you take away from E3 this year? Yeah, I was... um... I go in with hopes of several things. Um, this year didn't necessarily deliver what I was looking for, which was primarily uh, I've still got a loose hope that we're going to have a Halo 3 remaster, that we're going to have mm-hmm. uh, Halo Reach put into the Master Chief collection with new achievements, uh, 60 frames a second, etc. Splinter Cell, which, let's be honest, I was incredibly disappointed that we didn't see one again, although I do think that we will get it next year because I can't imagine that Michael Ironside goes into a studio for DLC. Um, mm, for yeah. Ghost Recon uh, but overall I, f- I felt like maybe the pacing of a few shows was off but the, the games that came out from them look incredibly promising so uh, not so great for my bank balance but definitely great for the future <laughs> of gaming um, many that I'm going to be picking up across all the systems and, and I'm going to definitely have to find room now to buy yeah. not just an Xbox One X but also a Switch it is kind of troubling looking at how strong this year is looking for video games and thinking like i still have a backlog i still haven't played the last guardian and i've owned that for over a year got it on launch still haven't played past the very first opening section (laughs) i have so many things to get through and then i know when it comes to uh november is when hitman launches and then december is super smash bros and so i just don't see myself playing anything other than those two for the months following so i've I've got like a deadline to catch up. And you've got Battlefield and Call of Duty as well. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> not for me, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that for uh, those of you who are into that kind of thing, that is another massive time sink. Yeah. So, you know, you get these weird deadlines on the on your schedule and you're like, I have to catch up before then because it's not happening afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most terrifying thing is every year you come out with E3 and you, you're kind of concerned about the October, November, December timeline. I think for this time i'm actually more concerned about february and march next year hmm. there was so many strong games for for yeah. sort of the first quarter of next year that i'm already concerned and thinking about who doesn't need a christmas present this year no we said this uh this next track's from assassin's creed syndicate we did get to see the next assassin's creed at ubisoft's conference this year that is assassin's creed odyssey this was kind of a weird one origins uh set in ancient egypt uh, last year was very well received. 
Yep. And so it's, um, I, I think a lot of the strength of that game came from them rethinking the formula, taking some time off and really developing kind of a new archetype for the series. It looks like they're returning to an annualized entry yeah. uh, with the very next year coming out with uh, an entirely new game set in ancient Greece, not just like a follow-up like we've gotten with um, the Assassin's Creed 2 series, where they're just kind of straight sequels to each other, but it looks like an entirely new thing, although set in kind of a sister region, um, another kind of Mediterranean area, uh, but still, it looks to be very different. It looks to be very beautiful, very sprawling. Uh, they say it's their largest world, which, yeah, whatever. I mean, size was never Assassin's Creed's problem. So No, no, um, no, exactly. Um, but hopefully the repetition issues that were an issue are going to be ironed out because they've said that they've finally changed the formula of how to approach the story arc. But, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess. What are your thoughts on this one? Like, do you have a lot of... Uh, desire right off the bat to get into uh, odyssey or are you still pretty well satisfied by origins or whatever assassin's creeds are your favorites i'm always behind on the assassin's creed series so i always get like all the achievements from the from the game so i really sort of deep dive and 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 embrace the world that they're in but i'm still making my way through syndicate which is what i've chosen the mm. thing from but i did buy origins um i'm concerned about going back to an annual i think that that is a bit dangerous i think uh, being by an by annual really did benefit the last one so i do have concerns that this one's coming too soon and may eventually just get you're swallowed up by the fact that you've got the Call of Duty, uh, uh, which is going to be Black Ops 4, and Battlefield Juggernauts um, around that period that, that might just sort of crush it out of existence. Um, mm. But, you know, we'll see. I, I wasn't, I thought the world looked incredible, but I was underwhelmed by what I saw, which is not okay. what I would have expected to see. I'm kind of in the same boat. I feel like Obviously, the world is beautiful, but it feels like the same kind of beautiful that we got from Origins. Yeah. You know, not something as distinct as if they were going to like India or something, uh, something more interesting like that. But also the demos that they showed off didn't really give like a strong idea of what the game itself would be like. It wasn't a like a vertical slice demo, which are very artificial. And uh, it's kind of nice that they just did like a little... Uh, just a little spoonful of the average gameplay experience because it feels like a more honest way to present yeah. it. But uh, I guess one of the advantages of those vertical slices is that they give you like a statement of intent, uh, like a mission statement for the game. Yeah, which is odd for a game titled Odyssey, right? We'll see where it goes. I'm I'm definitely interested in exploring the world. I love all the giant statues and everything. Uh, that, it, it, it looks exactly. very, yeah, very fantastical and very uh, beautiful. Uh, kind of a wonderful place to be. So, um, yeah, I guess since uh, since God of War abandoned the Greek setting, it looks like <laughs> Assassin's Creed is filling that niche in a very different way. But, uh, anyways, we've we've talked around it. You're bringing us a piece from Assassin's Creed Syndicate, an England set game. So, yeah. there you so, go. <laughs> uh, a little disappointed that this was the only one that we saw in, in sort of Victorian England when there was so much potential there and I was kind of hoping they would do an Assassin's Creed 2 style uh, extension mm -hmm. around it, particularly with two characters um, as the game. And I feel like anyone who's ever played it realises that the characters are perhaps quite cheeky 
um you know the fry twins uh they've, they've got that sort of that charm that you kind of expect from uh two english protagonists of that era um and one of the things and the primary reason i chose this track is it kind of follows suit as much as a, a piece of music can have you kind of anticipating the next note so every time the music plays you it it, it pauses and, and holds the spaces between the notes that have me sort of anticipating the next step. It's almost a little bit sneaky, a little bit cheeky, a little bit over the top, and, and but quintessentially British and perfect for this game. And it fits what was attempted with Assassin's Creed Syndicate um, so, so well that I just love this piece. Now, Assassin's Creed isn't for everyone. I, I'm a fan of the series. Uh, I'm an odd fan in that I think that Assassin's Creed 3 is the best one, but that's by the by because, you know, you go on, you look around the that. internet yeah. and it's it's kind of the one that people always seem to hate on. I really liked it. Um, but I think Assassin's Creed Syndicate is a really strong entry in that series. And it seems odd that this was the last one we got before the two-year break. It just captured so many of the things that I like about this game. But like Unity before it, the thing that really shines uh, is the music. And of course, I've picked music from Unity in the past on this podcast. And I think this one goes even further. It doesn't carry the tones, so it's not an Assassin's Creed main theme, so it doesn't have that overarching Assassin's Creed theme that we come to appreciate throughout, that it's slightly tonally different. This is a track from the game, so the track's called Waltzing on Rooftops and Cobblestones. It's by the incredible composer Austin Wintry, primarily known, I would presume, for Journey, um, which, you know, it isn't exactly a bad soundtrack is it it's a a multiple award-winning epic of a score um and i feel that austin's work on this game mirrors the intent and tonal uh setting that are part of it perfectly it's just a wonderful track that if i'm listening to it i'm immediately transported to sort of victorian england era england and i think that that is just an incredible accomplishment um and i just absolutely love this piece of music this is a really, really strong piece of music. I, I love this. I'm, I'm really happy that you brought it up because I probably wouldn't have sought out this soundtrack otherwise. And now I'm really curious to hear the rest of uh, Wintery's great Assassin's Creed Syndicate work here. So let's take it out today with Waltzing on Rooftops and Cobblestones by Austin Wintery from Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And we'll see you next week. <laughs> 